Lunch with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after four on the Sports Bash, it is football at four. It is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. And don't forget to check out the Inside the Birds podcast. Drops tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Jeff Mosher on tomorrow. Adam Kaplan's back on Thursday. Rob Motti from the Associated Press, pinch hitting today. Jumping on to give us some more insight on a move that, uh, I don't know, Rob. I don't know where you stood on this, whether you thought this was going to be the way they went, whether you think this is the right way to go. I thought they were going to go to Wentz and say, look, you guys have been asking for him to stand on the sideline and watch. That's what we're going to do. And then if he didn't play well, it gives you more leash to kind of pull him out by saying, hey, you watched for a half, and obviously that didn't help. And now we have to turn the keys over to Hertz. So were you surprised today that they went with Hertz, or did you think that ultimately this would be where they went? Man, I was very surprised that they went in this direction because this is Carson Wentz's team. I think he's earned the right to work through the issues that he has. You and I have talked about this before, Mike. This isn't a Carson Wentz issue. This is an organizational problem. They failed this kid from top to bottom. They haven't surrounded him with the right talent. A lot of the issues that he's having now, offensive line has been a revolving door. The pocket's continually collapsing. Receivers are struggling to get open. The play calling is suspect. There is so much involved here, and to put the finger at Carson Wentz is not fair. I thought over the course of the next four weeks, if you wanted to have any shot of building momentum, building some confidence going into 2021, you allow him to work through it. Now, we don't know if this is a one-week deal. Hey, sit back, allow Jalen Hurts to take uh, the, the snaps this week and see what you can learn on the sidelines or if this is permanent for the rest of the season. But I'm really surprised by this move because they got $128 million reasons why they want Carson Wentz to work out and why they need to fix him for the future. Right. So this turns obviously into a million different questions here, Rob, which is number one, what if Hertz plays well? I mean, do you just come to terms with the fact that you got a $160 million backup quarterback on your team? I mean, is that even plausible? If Jalen Hurts plays well, and if he plays well over the course of the the remainder of the season, it increases his trade value. But I will caution everyone, and I don't know how that I don't know how he could play well, Mike, because he's going to play with the same offensive line, he's going to play with the same receivers. But Bobby Hoying played well for a four-game stretch in 1990, whatever it was. I'm not going to put Jalen Hurts in the Hall of Fame or make him a starting quarterback next year. I like the kid. I think he's got talent and he's got potential. But whatever he does over the final four games of this season, I don't think give you answers, but they could potentially create more questions. And depending on what they want to do with Carson Wentz, it could make this an even worse situation than it already is. Yeah, now the thing that you mentioned that I would just you know throw back into the mix is maybe Doug Peterson and the Eagles don't feel that their supporting cast is as bad. Now, I'm not saying they're right, but is this Doug's way of saying, 
let me show you that I'm not the problem and my offense isn't the problem. If I had someone playing better, my offense would work fine. That's a good point, Mike. If if Doug Peterson felt that way, if he felt the issues with this offense or execution at the quarterback position, then this would be his opportunity to say, hey, this is what we can do to make this a better situation. Maybe Jalen Hurts can step in there and be the starting quarterback and he can show you. I don't think that's the case. I think Jalen Hurts is going to be hard-pressed to do any more than Carson Wentz can do with this offense. Now, the one element that he has that Carson doesn't have as, as good as he is is that he can't escape the pocket like Jalen Hurts. Carson can. He can scramble. We've seen that a little bit more this year. But Jalen Hurts is far superior to Carson in that department. And with this offensive line, you're going to need that. So, you know, that's one advantage of having Jalen Hurts out there. Just to backpack a little bit off of Gill's statement, there's also been reports that, you know, Doug Peterson could be coaching for his job. Is that another context to add to this conversation of if he feels Jalen Hurts gives him the best chance to win on Sunday, I got to secure my job? Yeah, I don't know that he really feels Jalen Hurts gives him an opportunity, the best opportunity to win on Sunday. And, you know, let's not, I know that Doug Peterson insisted yesterday that this was his decision and his decision alone. But if Howie Roseman has say in the 53-man roster as in all the input, right? If Howie Roseman can even dictate who's active on game day, if Howie Roseman has so much input that Alshon Jeffries taking snaps away from Travis Fulgham, you don't think Howie and Jeffrey Lurie really had input? I don't care what Doug says publicly about him making this decision and this being his decision alone. I think there was a lot of pressure in that front office to do something different. And until we really get an opportunity tomorrow to speak to Doug Peterson and follow up and ask him how much input did anyone else have, and he'll probably deny it, but how much did you make this decision? Is it for this week? Is it for the rest of the season? What is going on here, and what went into it? Well, Rob, and Rob Motti's with us here, Football at Four, looking at this whole situation that obviously the Eagles have announced at Jalen Hurts. What if Hurts doesn't play well? What if he's just shell-shocked out there and, and has an awful game? Can they really say to Carson, hey, we're going right back to you? I mean, is that feasible? Man, wouldn't that be an awkward situation? Or what if Jalen gets hurt, right? What if Jalen gets hurt and you got to go – with Carson, are you going to give Carson a week off completely and make him inactive and have Nate Sudfeld be the backup quarterback? You know, Carson is the ultimate professional. He's got strong character. You saw the way he handled it. He will never throw anybody under the bus. He will always say the right things. I'm sure he'll be fine going out there. But, hey, let's keep in mind this, too. The New Orleans Saints went into last week with the number one ranked defense in the NFL. This is not going to be a simple, easy opponent. And we know they're a 10-2 football team. They're, they're the best team in the NFC. But this isn't just a Drew Brees-led offense. By the way, they're led by Taysom Hill right now. We'll see if Brees plays, Brees plays. But this is a really good defense. This is an incredible challenge that you're throwing Jalen Hurts into. Yeah, we just had John Clayton on, and he said something really interesting. When Doug Peterson spoke a few weeks ago, he said putting Jalen Hurts in will send a message that the season is over. Well, I'm just looking at every single angle here. You have Washington and the New York Giants win football games. Is that the message that he's sending now? 
Yeah, I wonder how much that played into it. That's a terrific point and an excellent question, and maybe uh, we'll ask it tomorrow because when you see you, you fall a game and a half now out of first place, you, you're all but – you're out. You're done. You have no chance. The best thing the Eagles can do now is lock up a top 10, top 5 pick because history has shown us over the two decades where they've had those picks, they've actually hit on those. It's the other picks that they have trouble with. So when you say this 10 days ago, two weeks ago, that going, making quarterback changes, giving up on the season, it's going to be real interesting to see how Doug Peterson backtracks from that tomorrow. Right. I mean, and, and you mentioned it. We kind of you know hinted at this. and How much of this was Peterson's decision? How much is the front office here? Because, you know, John just mentioned to us, and, and, and we'll see if you agree with him, that he doesn't feel that Roseman would be on the hot seat. There has been reports that Peterson is. So <laughs> does Peterson get to make a decision if he's on the hot seat? Yeah, and I would agree with that. I, I would be, given Jeffrey Lurie's relationship with Howie Roseman, how he has somehow lived through coaching change after coaching change, and you got to give Howie credit. As much as I'm critical of his decisions since they've won the Super Bowl, we got to give him credit. He's the only GM in franchise history to put together a Super Bowl championship roster. I would be really surprised if, if Jeffrey Lurie moves on from Howie Roseman. It would not shock me if he makes a decision regarding Doug Peterson. So, yes, given that, you got to believe that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman had input into this decision. Right. And this could, this could be Howie saying, I've taken so much heat for drafting Jeffrey third overall and J.K. Dobbs and Jeremy Chin and all these other guys were out there. Well, now I want to justify my pick, Doug. So go ahead and play. Wow. So – you know, so what does that say, though, about giving him this deal and how they felt about him on draft day? Giving Carson the deal? Right. I mean, did they, yeah. did they shower on him that quickly to say on draft day, we gave him this deal, but we already don't believe in him? It just seems bonkers. If Carson Wentz isn't here next year and they're going to move on from Carson Wentz, that contract – was a monumental failure, right? Four years, $128 million, when you didn't have to give it to him. You gave him that contract with two years remaining on his existing deal because you wanted to outsmart the situation and, and say, well, we'll give him 30-plus annual average salary because maybe he'll be worth 40 in two years and he's trending in that direction. Yeah, if, if you're ready to move on from him at this point, then that was an abysmal failure I really don't think, Mike, though, on draft day, the Eagles had come to the conclusion that Carson Wentz isn't the answer. I really think they won after Jalen Hurts because they were looking for a competent, capable backup quarterback who doesn't just stand on the sidelines holding a clipboard but can actually be useful for five, six, seven, eight snaps a game like Taysom Hill, even though they haven't used him like Taysom Hill because they're different players. Do you think it's a reality to take that type of cap hit if they were to move on from Carson Wentz? If you enter a complete and total rebuild, you're going to have to at some point. I'm not convinced that's the direction they're going to go in. And a lot of that's going to be dependent upon what is Jeffrey Lurie going to do? Is he going to blow this up with Howie Roseman and the head coach? Do you look at Carson Wentz as a guy like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid where he needs a new voice, he needs new leadership? 
maybe a new coach can come in here and help this kid get back on track. I can't look at a quarterback as talented as Carson Wentz, who three years ago finished third in NFL MVP voting, who in 2018 had a better statistical season than he did in 2017, and in 2019 finished the season playing at such a high level that he w- they won the last four games and went into the playoffs. And all of a sudden, this kid no longer has any talent. Something went wrong here, and maybe Lurie's looking at it as like, we can fix him but we need the right hmm. people in place to do that. All right, Rob Motti covers the Eagles for the Associated Press. Uh, you know Carson very well. Uh, I'm not saying that he's ever said, hey, I don't want to be here, but does this suggest that his heart is just not in playing in Philadelphia? I mean, this is a huge difference from what he's used to, and I know he's handled it in the past, but I would have to imagine years of this full stuff lingering, he finally gets out of that, and they draft a quarterback. I mean, at what point does he say, enough's enough, you know what, I just don't have my heart to play in this organization anymore? I can say this. Carson wants to win in Philadelphia, and he's about as competitive a person as an athlete as I've ever come across in 21 years covering the Eagles and the NFL for AP. He wants to win. He's got roots here now. It's not just Carson Wentz is in Philadelphia and in the area. He's got his family He's got his foundation. A lot of people, his his brother, his sister-in-law, a lot of people have uprooted from North Dakota and moved to New Jersey, moved to South Jersey to be around Carson Wentz, to work with him, to work together. So if he wanted to move on from here, that would be really a game changer for a lot of people who are close to him. Now, having said that, independent of any conversation that I've ever had with Carson or anyone close to him, me personally, asking Rob Motti my thoughts, I think the best thing for him and his future is a fresh start and a clean start somewhere else. I'm with you, Rob. When I when I look at this team, I think the whole entire unit of offense is struggling so much that it plays a role on Carson Wentz's play. But there are times where he does have a clean pocket or he does have Dallas Goddard wide open and he puts it a little bit behind him. So when you do see the scenarios that are on Carson, why do you think that is? A lot of pressure. Uh, a lot of a lot of pressure to be perfect. Because, yes, you do have those opportunities. And I will say, he did woefully underthrow Dallas Goddard the other day, right? And we saw that that probably may have cost them a touchdown or or Dallas Goddard may have been caught from behind. It still was a nice game. I think he's got a lot of pressure that he puts upon his shoulders because those opportunities are few and far in between. So when he sees them, he's got to capitalize on them, right? So for every throw like that to Dallas Goddard that he misses, I'll take you back to the Boston Scott touchdown to win the Giants game with 40 seconds left on the clock. That could have been delivered any more perfect. That was an Aaron Rodgers-like throw. That was a Russell Wilson-like throw, which we've seen out of Carson, and we've seen this year and not too long ago. But, yeah, he needs more consistency. And when you're playing in a system that doesn't suit your strengths, it is very, very difficult for him to have success. And I think what he really needs is a system that plays into his strengths. Where are the misdirection plays? What happened to the screen game? What happened to the run game? Why can't we roll him out? What happened to the bootlegs? Why does he have to sit in a collapsing pocket and wait to take a sack? Rob Motti covers the Eagles for the Associated Press. And and I think we all like have agreed the fact that Doug has not done a great job with Carson this particular season. But I guess the the question would be, he was successful. That's why it's so hard. 
he was successful with less. I mean, last year, those last four games, I mean, he's playing with guys that aren't even as good as the guys he has now. So, I mean, that's why it's such a head-scratcher is, yeah, we get it. He doesn't have what he thought he would have, and the, the talent is less. But he has won with less, and that's why I think it's so mystifying. It is. But what he did have last year, though, Mike, towards the end of the season, was the offensive line was in far better shape. And I think that's the biggest issue with this team is that offensive line has been in shambles and it's through no fault of their own. These are guys who are rookie, a lot of rookies who are inexperienced, a lot of guy, a lot of turnover guys playing out of position. They've used 11 different line combinations in 12 games. So it's understandable that the offensive line will struggle late last season. You still had Lane Johnson out there. Jason Peters was playing left tackle and playing a little bit better than he's playing right now, even at right guard. So he did have that, and he was able to lead an offense that was, yeah, Carson Wentz in the practice squad. But I think that's the biggest issue. When you have time, when you're able to navigate the field, go through your progressions and make those throws, it's a ton of difference, man. It makes a world of difference. But when you're constantly under pressure and you're trying to step up, step out, escape the pocket, that's why we're seeing all these things that are happening now. Now, Rob, I know the Eagles are still in this division race. Um, the two <laughs> teams that won last night made it a little bit more difficult. Uh, well, one won last night. The other one won on Sunday. But they're still in this thing. How much of this decision could be the veterans saying, look, we've got to do something different. We have to at least try. I don't think that's the case, man, because when we talk to a lot of the veterans from Brandon Graham, the Fletcher Cox, they've really thrown their support behind Carson Wentz. And Carson's part of that leadership team. He's part of the leadership group. And I don't know that the veteran guys really think, hey, they see Jalen Hurts in practice. And I know that they, he had a little bit of success against the Packers on Sunday. But I'll caution people, too. Some of that success came – or most of that success came when they were down 20 and down 17. Once the Eagles got to within a touchdown, Packers changed up their coverage. They stopped playing soft. They started playing a little bit tougher on defense, playing more physical, playing more bump and run again. And he was one for five with three sacks and in the interception. So I don't think you could take out of that game what he did and say, hey, this is going to carry over into this is why we need Jalen Hurts right now to step in. I think when you see what the team – the, the Giants did and what the Washington football team did yesterday, and now you fall a game and a half behind, and you have a guy like Coach Peterson saying 10, 12 days ago that, hey, this is giving up on the season. The Eagles right now, to me, are playing for a top-five pick in the NFL draft, and that's what this that's what moving to Jalen Hurts signals to me. Okay, now if that's the case, there's a lot of questions there because, one, John Clayton, I was surprised. He said he thought if they traded Wentz, they would have to do so for like a fifth-round pick. Do you agree with that? Well, given the contract situation, uh, it's probably going to be difficult to get a high draft pick. I don't think it's a fifth-round pick. I think Carson Wentz has a lot more value out there than a fifth-round pick. I, I think you could be able to get second day of the draft value for him, second-round pick, third-round pick. You look at a situation like Indianapolis, with with uh, Frank Reich, you look at other opportunities where he could. There are teams who need a starting quarterback, and teams who might be drafting later in the first round, like Indy might be. And, and you look at those kind of situations. Hey, I think he would have success playing with Bruce Arians. I know they got Tom Brady for one more year, 
in Tampa, but you look at that system with receivers who get open and, and a coach who wants to air it out, you put Carson Wentz in that system and he can thrive, whereas Tom Brady you're seeing right now is having a little bit of difficulty because they're not playing his system with a whole lot better receiving core than he's ever had in his career. So, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't agree necessarily with a fifth-round pick. It would surprise me, man, if that's all they can get for Carson Wentz at this point. Yeah, and then, of course, uh, you know, if Hurts plays well, do you go into next season? If you can't move Wentz, I mean, if him, I, this is just – I don't know that there was any scenario, Rob, that you could have – I mean, you've written books. <laughs> I don't know that there's a book you could have written that could have come up with a scenario that would have landed to this spot right here. This might be the biggest mess that I've seen that the Eagles have put themselves in. Like, they created this. From the minute they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round with the 53rd overall pick, we knew at some point that was going to lead to a quarterback controversy. They created this, and we will never know how much Carson Wentz has been impacted by having Jalen Hurts on the sideline, looking over his shoulder, wondering when am I going to come out for a play series or two plays or not. This was a situation they did not need. They didn't have to put themselves in this and they did. And now they got to live with it. All right. I'll leave you with this. Rob Motti from the Associated Press covers the Eagles. Do you look at Howie Roseman as an untouchable in that front office? I mean, some people, I mean, we tried to figure it out. I don't know that there's a more disliked sports figure in the city than Howie Roseman, right? I don't know anybody that's like, you know who I really like? That Roseman guy. People just, <laughs> and whether it's fair or not, people just do not like him. Is he untouchable? Is he that tied to Lori that he is an untouchable? I, I will say this. I think it's unfair for people to feel that way. they got to remember how we brought you your first Super Bowl title. And as far as untouchable, Joe Banner was closer to Jeffrey Lurie than Howie Roseman is, and he was able to move on from his childhood best friend. So I wouldn't put him in that untouchable category. All right. Uh, we'll see how it unfolds Sunday. You can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Merrill Reese, Mike Quick, have the call. Jalen Hurts will make his debut as the Eagles starter as they take on the 10-2 and Saints. And, of course, uh, Carson Wentz will watch the game for the first time healthy as a backup. Rob Body from the Associated Press stepping in on football at four here today on 97.3 ESPN. And he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Rob, thank you so much, man. We'll catch up soon. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Anytime. Great stuff. Uh, Rob Body here stepping in for Andrew today. Andrew, of course, gave his opinion on the whole thing yesterday. So we wanted to get Rob's take on this, who is uh, somebody who has been very close to Carson Wentz. Yes, Yes, he is. And he kind of said it there. I think the best situation for Carson would be a fresh coat paint. Well, I think that's what happens when you get into this rut mentally, right? I mean, when it gets to this degree, it's pretty far gone. So the only way to get a changeup, I don't even know if a new coach in the same city would be enough of a changeup with how far gone he seems to be. He, again, he writes books, and I said, I don't think he could write a book that could get you to this spot. Right? I'm with you. It's funny, though. At the time of that Jalen Hurts pick, a lot of people did question, what does this mean for the psyche of Wentz? And there's the people who say, well, he should step up from it and he shouldn't let it affect him. There's people who say, well, you're a human being. It will affect you. At the time, you know, you do go back to a lot of people's initial reaction. And I thought this scenario was something that was discussed. By the way, Sal Palantonio in a text to Doug Peterson. 
on why the Eagles are switching to Jalen Hurts. Quote, the same reason I made the switch in the game. We need a spark. It's not about one guy here. We all know we need to be better. Coach and play. Doing this for the same reason. We need a spark. Offense has been poor for many reasons. Opportunity for Jalen's development. Still have great belief in Carson as quarterback and leader of the team. We have to get him better and the offense as well. Your thoughts? Well, it sounds like this isn't a permanent decision. Yeah, that's something I never really got to process yet. Is this a one-week thing? Is this a four-week thing? At this point, I can't think too far ahead to really even get down that type of thought. By the way, uh, John Clayton on earlier with us. We just asked Rob Motti about Howie Roseman and whether or not he's an untouchable. And you heard what Rob said. People should not hate Howie Roseman. He said, you've got to not hate this guy. He brought you your only Super Bowl. We asked John Clayton about Howie Roseman and whether or not he is also on the hot seat. And Howie uh, and John Clayton said this. You know, something has to give. You know, they're $80 million over the cap. Uh, but that gives Howie Rosen the chance to fix that. So I think, you know, there's nobody, I think, that can come out, know the team as well, and try to fix the cap better than Howie Rosen. So he gets to stay. Now, do they bring in somebody else to be a, a personnel guy, a general manager? We'll see how that goes. But I think Howie gets to stay. Your thoughts? I think he said something interesting as well that wasn't in that audio cut. Imagine being a new guy getting thrown into this mess and not really understanding it all. You but know? that's what new guys get thrown into, messes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But this one is intensified by a lot. Uh, that fight there will have the Delaware Valley just angry. Sports Bash. When we come back, James Harden, could he be a sixer? We'll ask our Sixers insider Paul Hudrick next. This is the radio home for Philadelphia Eagles football. This Sunday. Hill on 97.3 ESPN FM. Uh, thanks to Rob Motti. Jumping on board there, a little pinch hitter for Andrew to check out. Give us a little fresh coat of paint on that Wentz story. Andrew gave his thoughts on that yesterday, so good to hear from Rob today, who, of course, wrote a book on Wentz and the Eagles and covered the Eagles for a long time for the AP. Good stuff from him. Absolutely. By the way, this deal from DraftKings, amazing. DraftKings I already sports. put that one in. Wait, which one are you talking about? They got so many. That's the thing. Is it the Lamar Jackson one? Well, they have new promotions and odds boosts every single day they this do. week. Well, the one tonight, you should do it and use the code BRODES. What is it? 973. All right. Dude, it's plus 100 to 1 that Lamar Jackson completes a pass. Wow. Is this going to be the game where he doesn't? <laughs> I was like, is he starting? You're missing something, right? No, that's amazing. That is the type of deals that you're getting this week from DraftKings. By the way, use promo code 973, and all new players also have a chance to earn a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. There's also UFC 256 this weekend. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code 973. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, uh... Sixers news, they are at camp, believe it or not. They have a scrimmage or a scrimmage preseason game next week. You can hear the game live on 97.3 ESPN. Paul Hudrick 
from 973ESPN.com, covers the Sixers, and he joins us now with a look at this Sixers team who are at camp and um, have a lot of interesting things going on, including some news today, Paul. Uh, we've heard a little bit about this, but apparently uh, it is making the rounds again that James Harden wants out and that eh, if I can't get to Brooklyn, how about Philadelphia? Doc Rivers actually talked about it today. So where do we stand with the possibility of Harden in Philadelphia? Well, it, it certainly looks like there's more and more smoke, right? Uh, certainly than there were a few weeks ago. And to me, the situation more and more, and listen, I don't want to get anybody overexcited because it's, you know, far from a short thing or even close to that. But it's a little bit reminiscent of the Jimmy Butler situation, right? I mean, he clearly wants out. Um, the contract situation is obviously very different. But, you know, a star player wants out, not happy. James Harden is taking his sweet time getting into camp. Uh, we saw him partying in, in Atlanta and in Vegas and, you know, just showed up to camp, I think, today and got, you know, got his um, testing out of the way for COVID. So it's it clearly a situation where it's, uh, you know, it doesn't look pretty from the outside looking in. Like maybe maybe there's some things going on on the inside. The Rockets are kind of saying all the right things, and of course they're going to want to ransom for them. But it looks it looks ugly from the outside looking in, and it just it does. It reminds me a little bit of that Jimmy Butler situation that we all remember from a couple of years ago. All right. So if this was a possibility, because Doc Rivers said today, you know, we like our team. Any rumors they're not coming from us. So he's trying to assure everybody that this isn't coming from their side. So we know that they have been very committed to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Do you see any deal getting done without including one of those two guys? For James Harden, I do not. Because uh, when you're, uh, James Harden is, is, like we've talked about many times, arguably the greatest offensive player easily of the last decade, you know, it, you know, one of the greatest of all time when you're talking about the offensive end of the floor. And, again, his contract, he's not going to be a free agent. He's still got a couple of years. He can opt out, I believe, after the 2022-23 season. So, you know, it's there's they're not just going to give him away. So you're, you're going to have to give to get. So, I, I, me personally, I don't see a package that would be attainable without including a Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. And you look, that was a demand in the ESPN story, that they want a franchise cornerstone and they want a bevy of picks. Now, the thing is with that, it, it, now, Houston could just hold on to him, and, and that seems like it's a very strong possibility. But if you look at that package, what they would want, how many teams that are also contending can really offer that? Uh, I mean, maybe the Miami Heat, if you're saying Tyler Hero in a package. Maybe the Nuggets, if you're, you know, if you're talking maybe Michael Porter Jr. in a package. But I don't see a package for the Sixers that would be attractive enough if they're not including Ben Simmons. So, at this stage, it just sounds like James Harden – once out. Here's the thing, though, Paul. Houston, they own him till the what 2023 season, so he can say all he wants. He wants out, but uh, it seems that Houston ha has the holds the cards here. Well, definitely. I mean, that's that's and that's the issue, right? For the Sixers, is that you, wh why does Houston have to trade him? They they don't. They certainly don't have to. They can hold on to him. Uh, but again, harkening back to that Jimmy Butler situation, can it get to that point? Can it get ugly? Can it be, you know, James Harden at a practice yelling at ownership or something like that? You know, yelling up at Tillman for Teeter or something like that. I, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how ugly it is right now on the inside, and I don't know if it's going to get any uglier. But if, if James Harden shows up and, and you know plays nice and says all the right things and gets along with John Wall and maybe they win a few games or they play well together, whatever, maybe that makes this kind of go away. But it could also go the other way. It could be him and John Wall don't mesh very well 
It could, you know, maybe the team doesn't get off to a good start. Maybe him and Steven Silas don't really hit it off, at, you know, as his new head coach. We'll see. So I think, yeah, I think you're right in the sense that right now, Houston is, you know, they don't have to do anything. They can hold on to him for as long as they like. But, again, do you want it to get to a Jimmy Butler point? Do you want it to get to that point? And, you know, if, if I'm the Rockets, yeah, I'm going to hold out for as long as I possibly can. But you also don't want it, want it to get to that kind of untenable level. Looking at the 76ers on the court now, and I know it's hard to get an overall vibe via Zoom, but you did hear a bunch of people speak, and they are starting to practice. What's, what is the vibe when they do speak on Zoom? It's, it's definitely positive. I mean, I, I mean, of course, as you would expect, right? Uh, it's training, so everyone's getting along. Everything's great. They have a new coach. They have a new front office. They have new players. Everything's wonderful. Um, so, of course, that's, that's kind of what the vibe has been, right? Very positive, uh, you know, and I think the biggest takeaways I have from listening to Doc Rivers, listening to some other guys talk, uh, I would say look out for a lot more of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons in a two-man game, running more pick-and-roll, kind of playing off each other, which we saw at times. And funny enough, I know Brett Brown always referenced the Clippers game at home last year is a game where both of those guys played really well offensively, and they won that game, closed it out on the defensive end of the floor. So I'd say that's one big takeaway is you're, you're hearing a lot about that, those two together playing off each other more. Um, Shake Milton has been, he has definitely been the darling of camp, it seems like. Uh, it seems like every person we've asked has has singled out Shake Milton, including Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers really seems to be kind of over the moon uh, for Shake Milton as kind of his sixth man in that role. Uh, it said today that Shake Milton is, he's, looks way faster than he thought he had, uh, excuse me, than he thought he was from far away. Uh, you know, beyond just shooting basketball, he's finishing at the rim really well. So, yeah, again, just a lot of positivity. Again, more positivity today because that trade finally um, becomes, uh, you know, finalized and official. So that, that's what I would say, mostly glowing optimism from the Sixers as of now. Paul Hudrick, uh, 97.3 ESPN.com. The Sixers are uh, back at uh, camp, and obviously they uh, open up the preseason on, what, Wednesday night against Boston. How will we see Ben Simmons? I mean, I heard Doc say he's a facilitator, but he mentions the open floor. And then, of course, we hear, well, he's been working on mid-ranges and corner threes, and it's like, oh, my God, here we go again. But <laughs> we know Doc says, well, I don't care if he shoots. So what kind of Ben Simmons do we anticipate seeing? Because if we see the same one, I don't know how much better this team can really be. Yeah, uh, that's going to be that's gonna be the big question, right? I mean, that's him, like – the biggest thing is always going to be, it all comes back to, is Joel Embiid in shape? Is Ben Simmons going to shoot? That's the question it seems like we're going to ask ourselves forever until those things kind of happen, uh, at least to you know to the 100% capacity that they, they could. So, I mean, it, with, with Ben, yeah, I, I, I kind of picture it almost similar to what he was doing at the end of last year that we didn't really get to see in the bubble. I see it being, if it's a miss, Ben Simmons is going to push the pace. Or if it's a turnover, he's going to push a pace. He's going to look to get out and transition. Uh, I think he was one, either one or two in the NBA in assisted threes this year. I expect to see way more of that with Danny Green and Seth Curry in the lineup and those guys kind of running in transition. They're both very good uh, hitting transition threes kind of on the wing there. So I, I you know, definitely expect to see him plenty of that. But I would also, yeah, in the half court, you might see a little bit more of, you know, Seth Curry maybe running some point. And running a pick and roll, you might again see more two man game with him and Joel Embiid. Kind of that that they call it uh, the snub pick and roll, which is kind of like a, a pick and roll in the post. That's kind of tough to guard, uh, especially depending on what the matchup is defensively. Now, are we going to see him shoot 
threes? Are we going to see him take mid-range jumpers? I have no idea. Um, I'm, I think everyone is guessing at this point. The only one that knows that for sure is Ben Simmons. Um, I did see that Danny Green was quoted at, at, on a recent podcast saying that he's going to push him to shoot more. Um, I know Sam Cassell, like you said, he, he's been working with him more. So hopefully that that's kind of naturally woven in more to his game, but we're not going to know until we see it. From the start of the season, what do you think Tyrese Maxey's role will be? That's another one that's really tough to know right now just because, I mean, obviously first day in camp for him was today, did non-contact stuff because uh, he did have a positive COVID test. Um, but he said he's feeling good. He said he's ready to go. He'll, he'll do full contact stuff tomorrow. So he is, you know, a little bit behind the eight ball, not, not, not a ton, but a little bit compared to some other guys that have been in camp. So that's certainly going to be a factor. Um, but, you know, his skill set is one that I think it's – the reason, I mean, other than just the talent and the value of 21, a reason they drafted him is because he does things that other guys on this roster can't do. You know, that's creating off the drill, that's getting to the best kid finishing at the rim. So there can be a role for him if he is ready. I think defensively, uh, as you know, compared to some, maybe some other rookies, I'm not really as worried about him. I think he can defend. I think he can defend ones and twos. I think he's willing to do it, and I think he showed at Kentucky the whole, the whole take on tough matchups, and he can do that on the perimeter. It's going to matter, too, like, is Matisse Seibel, how is he shooting the basketball? If Matisse Seibel's really shooting well and, you know, and he's still playing his customary defense, is, you know, how good Jake Milton looks. It's all going to depend. I think it's just going to be a ripple thing. Like, Justin Anderson, how does Justin Anderson look? How does he fit in? So, I think he's kind of in an advantageous situation uh, with Maxie. With, I don't think there's a ton of pressure on him where he has to. Um, you know, contribute right away, but I also think there is an opportunity that if he plays well, he can contribute. You know, uh, it's going to be really interesting about the rotation and, and, and how deep they go here, uh, because obviously, you know, that was one of the things they had so many guys who were very similar in Brett Brown's rotation last year, you know, when he, especially after they made the trade, you get Alec Burks, you got Glenn Robinson, you had Matisse Dibble, you had Ritter, you had so many similar pieces here. Uh, how deep does this team go this year? Is this a deep team or is that a concern? No, I honestly think they're a deeper team. Um, when you look at, and I think you hit it on the head right there when you said kind of like similar guys, like wing players. Now you have more maybe guard oriented players where Shake Milton's going to have a big role from the outset. You're going to have Seth Curry. Um, Danny Green is, is, again, probably an underrated defender, a pretty good defensive player. That's going to help everybody involved, maybe take some pressure off Ben Simmons. Um, and then, to me, Ben Simmons' versatility is just like such a big weapon for this team as far as their depth because the guy can literally play one through five. He can play all five positions on the court at any time. So when you have a player like that, you can mix pieces around. Even Tobias Harris and his ability to maybe play, you know, some wing. Yeah, I wouldn't. I personally like him more at the four, but you know, maybe he can play a little wing, and that again adds to your versatility. So, and I think depth-wise, I think they're in pretty good shape. Um, you know, I guess I would like to see some more proven guys. You know, we don't really know is Shake Milton going to take a leap? Is Matisse Thibault going to take a leap? Um, again, we don't know what we have. You know, what's there in Maxi quite yet. So uh, I would say maybe there's a little bit more questions, but I think there's more options and more um, varied options, more versatile options. All right, I guess to put it in perspective, how prevalent of the rotation is Furkan Korkmaz? Because he was a high part of the rotation, and some would say well, that's part of your problem when he's that high in your rotation. Yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, it, again, it, it's so hard to know, but Doc Rivers says that he sees him as being a big piece. I mean, this, again, could be coach speak. He was asked specifically about Furcon, and he said nice things about Furcon. We don't know how that's all going to shake out, 
Um, yeah, there's no question that Furkan Korkmaz, when he's when he's hot, he's hot, and, and he gave them a huge boost multiple times when when he got really hot. But on the defensive end of the floor, he's a liability. Uh, he hurts them defensively. So uh, where is he right now? I mean, you figure he has to be behind Jake Milton, behind Matisse Thibel. Um, I don't know that for a fact, but I would you know, judging by their talent. I would say that he's behind them right now, but that doesn't mean, again, if he has a great camp, if he has a great preseason, maybe that changes. And I I think it's going to be really fluid, too. I, I don't think – I think the team you see on opening night, it, it, the team that you see on the last day before the playoffs, I think it's going to look very different. I think Daryl Morey could possibly make another move for a more established bench guy. I think, you know, some guys are going to be mixed in, you know, again, depending on how Maxi um, develops and how where he is. So I think – it's going to be so fluid throughout the year, and I don't think Doc Rivers is going to be stubborn and say, "Hey, I need to play this guy. I need to play that guy." I think he's going to go with what is the best, you know, rotation for the Sixers. I think it's interesting. We're talking about these role players, and you have Mike Scott on the bench, who's this experienced veteran. Now he had an underwhelming season last year, but if you think about the four position that he can play, you know, you have Tobias there, and you have Ben. Like I feel like there's a spot for him maybe to come off the bench, and he did play five before. If you wanted to go small ball, though, Dwight Howard's presence might change that. You know, what what can you maybe expect from Mike Scott? He's an experienced veteran guy. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly doesn't hurt to have a guy like Mike Scott coming off your bench who was, you know, such a big piece of them a couple of years ago in the playoffs, you know, playing with, he played with a bad foot and still played through it, gave him some tough minutes, hit some big shots. Um, last year, had, you know, he, he admitted today, last year was a down year. He didn't have a great year. Um, when he showed to the bubble, his knee was bothering him. He thinks it was because of his weight. Uh, said as he gets older, he, you know, he wants to keep his weight down, which I think we can all kind of relate to that one. Um, but, yeah, I you know, to have – for, for me, looking at it right now, I think he's on the outside looking in of any type of rotation play. But to have a guy like that as like your 10th, 11th, whatever man, that's a pretty valuable guy to have who's been there before, who's hit big shots, who's played in the playoffs. It's a really nice insurance policy. You know, it's great that he has a familiarity with Doc Rivers as well. So, yeah, Mike Scott is, is just, like I said, outside looking in at the rotation, but Certainly a, a very, a very nice insurance policy on the outside of that. Paul Hudrick at Paul Hudrick on Twitter. His podcast coming in for a landing, all things Sixers. And, of course, the Sixers open up the preseason on Wednesday night. You can hear that game right here on 97.3. Actually, it's Tuesday night against Boston, and you can hear that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Paul, we'll catch up soon, pal. Sounds good, Mike. All right, Paul Hudrick, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. We'll get his take, of course, as the Sixers get ready for the Boston Celtics on Tuesday night. Can't believe Hoops is back, baby. Brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. When you need an expert to navigate the home loan process, Rocket can help. It's a Tuesday with Thompson, the PT in 12 minutes. On 97.3 ESPN. All right, we thank Paul Hudrick. Make sure you give him a follow for Sixers news at Paul Hudrick. And, of course, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk on the Hotline. I'm Mike Gill, at Mike Gill Show on Twitter, at Bros81. I think um, when we look at the Sixers thing real quick, the depth that they have, they should have more depth than they had in years past, right? Now, the one question I would have is, what... You mentioned uh, off the air, I think, when you have Mike Scott as like your eleventh guy. He didn't do much last year. No, he, he was fell to that guy. Yeah. You were hoping to get more from him. Definitely. You know? And I think there's more at him. 
and we keep talking that we keep hearing shake Milton, shake Milton, shake Milton. He better be pretty darn good. I'm not anti Shake Milton. I'm just not believing the hype that's there right now. I, I think he's got a skill set that works in the NBA. I just don't know if he's ready. People like to say Lou Will. Lou Will's a walking bucket off the bench. I don't know if you can compare Lou Will to Shake Milton right now. I like Shake Milton, but I'm not ready to dive into it to that degree yet. So, have you come up with a more unpopular Philly sports figure? This guy texts in, no way. Most unpopular in Philly sports is Wentz. He stinks. I don't agree with that. That That's the... Uh, I don't think that Wentz is more unpopular than... How, I think Howie Roseman is far and away the most unpopular. I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm trying. I mentioned John Middleton, but no, it's not to that degree. People are frustrated with him. Vince but... Velasquez? <laughs> no, it's not the same Workman? Agent. Claude Giroux? Workman? Workman. He wasn't here long enough. Come on, man. Brandon Workman. Man, Sal Powell has gone through like eight outfits today. I was thinking the same thing. I just saw him in a different... A whole different well, getup. I heard him on today on with Greeny. He was driving to Baltimore. Now he's in Baltimore. It was daytime out. They got him out there again. Now it's nighttime out. He's bundled up. He texted me earlier. This guy does it all. I love how the fact that he thought about me while he was standing out there. That's very nice of him. Yeah, he's like, let me text him. He sent me a nice text over the weekend, by the way. Yeah? Yeah. He really did. I was quite flattered.